Well, there's a title for you, A Serious Case of Mistaken Identity, and uh, you'll notice that that title is a little different to the one that I sent out to you on email, and uh, hopefully this one reflects the passage a little bit better. Here's my message for this morning. It's all around a case, or should I say a serious case, of mistaken identity. In 2014, police officers in Tenerife, Spain, were alerted to the presence of a gorilla outside the Loro Park Zoo. They were alerted to the one on your right. So the police, in their wisdom, sent a veterinarian over who thwarted the attempted zoo escape with a tranquilizer shot. They shot the gorilla. But the vet then realized that the supposed gorilla was actually a human in a gorilla costume. Apparently, the zoo had been holding a gorilla zoo drill. One of its workers dressed up in a gorilla costume and pretended to be the escaping gorilla. A fairly comical case of mistaken identity, would you agree? But here's a more serious one. On April 26, 2006, Robert Spencer was driving along the freeway, the highway in Indiana. He fell asleep at the wheel. He veered onto the other side of the road, crashing into a school bus. Four students were killed, including one teacher. Among the dead students was Laura Van Rain, the one on your left, whose body was mistaken for that of Whitney Sirak, the girl on the right. She survived but was seriously injured. Believing that their daughter was dead, Whitney's distraught family buried Laura's body while Laura's family watched over Whitney as she recovered, thinking she was Laura. The mix-up was discovered after Laura awakened from a coma and identified herself as Whitney. Do you agree that that was a serious case of mistaken identity? If you've got your Bible open, Mark 3, 7 to 35, is a theological unit of Mark and blocks, which he has taken from the life of Jesus, and he's put them together in such a way for us to understand the most serious case of mistaken identity in all of the world, and still goes on today. You look at Mark 3, 7 to 35, and those units don't seem to sort of relate very well. But the serious case of mistaken identity will become very clear as we go along. Let's go to our first block, which I've called, I hope, the Calling Commission. The Calling Commission. Verses 13 to 19. Notice if you've got your Bible. So verse 13, Jesus goes up onto the mountainside, which should remind you in the Old Testament of Moses going up on Sinai. And notice it says that Jesus called those that he wanted and they came to him, verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. This is what we call a gospel commissioning service. 
This is Jesus choosing 12. He chooses 12 men. If you like, he sort of ordains them. I'm not sure whether he laid hands on them. And he says, you are my disciples. You are the new Israel. And notice in verse 14 that they're commissioned. And you say commissioned to do what? Well, keep looking at the text, verse 14. They are commissioned, what? To be sent out to, to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. You'll notice in the passage that the, 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 tw- the 12 are then mentioned by name. You notice that? Simon and then ending with Judas. And it should not be lost on us that one of the 12 mentioned would be a betrayer. Look at verse 19. Judas Iscariot, verse 19. He was the betrayer. Judas was a case of mistaken identity, wasn't he? Not for Jesus, but certainly for the 11. The 11 thought that Judas was the real deal disciple. They thought he was the real thing. But in fact, he was a fraud. He was a fake. Because we know from the other Gospels, in fact, he was a thief. He used to steal money from the money bags. We'll have a look at Judas a little bit more closely later in the Gospels. He's not the main attraction here. But it would be worth me reminding you here at the start that in any true church of Jesus Christ, anywhere where the gospel is proclaimed and lived and taught, there will always be serious cases of mistaken identity. There will always be people that seem to have a genuine faith. But at some point, their mistaken identity will come to the fore. They are usually people that look like Christians. They smell like Christians. They talk like Christians. But at some point, they walk away from the faith and they deny the faith either by what they say or by what they do. I remember a Judas type person we had in our previous church in South Africa, she found ways to steal the collection every Sunday until the Holy Spirit exposed her wickedness. But look at verse 13 again, if you've got your Bible. It says that Jesus called those that he wanted and they came to him And he commissioned them and he told them to to go out and tell others about him. If you're a Christian here this morning, that's your commissioning. Notice, Christian, you've been called to Jesus. You've been called to him personally, by name. And then Jesus is sending you out and he wants you to go and tell people how wonderful he is. And he wants you to go and tell people the wondrous things that he has done And he wants you to go and call people to repent before him and follow him. Do you understand your commissioning? Do you understand that you haven't just been called to Jesus, but you've been sent out by Jesus to go and tell people how wonderful he is and the wondrous things he has done. That's your commissioning. But... As we go out, we are going to be confronted by some bizarre cases of mistaken identity 
when it comes to Jesus. Let me show you the first one, which is what I've called the Crowdly case of mistaken identity in verses 7 to 12. If you've got your Bible, notice in verse 8, we are told that many came from all over the place to see Jesus. In fact, the crowds are so large and numerous that Jesus, verse 9, he's got to get into the boat, but the people are literally wanting to drown him, or we might get drowned as they swamp him. And something of the scene is quite chaotic. Look at verse 10. Jesus is healing so many that the crowd is surging, surging forward like at an Ed Sheeran conference. And, and they just wanted to touch him because power was, was, was literally coming out of him, obviously. And as he's healing and they're touching and they're surging, the demons are freaking out. They're going bananas. You're the son of God. You're the son of God. And everything's getting just a little bit out of hand. It's quite the irony, isn't it? Because the demons are not mistaken as to the identity of Jesus, are they? You're the Son of God. You're the Son of God. He's shutting down those convos. But who do the crowds say that Jesus is? Who do the crowds think that Jesus is? They see him as just a mere what? Miracle maker. The crowds see Jesus as this instant need fixer. They do not see Jesus as the Son of God who has been sent from the Father to save sinners who are on their way to hell. It's a serious case of mistaken identity. They mistakenly saw the miracles as the substance of the kingdom, not the signs of the kingdom. They didn't see the miracles as the signs of the future kingdom that Jesus will bring through his death and resurrection. And I say to you today that many are still peddling this Jesus through TV broadcasts, networks, books, media, crusades and services, and even churches that claim to belong to Jesus. I'm going to put up a statement from a particular church. I won't tell you what church it is. This is a common type of statement from churches in Western Australia. The atonement provides salvation, healing, and prosperity for the believer. We are redeemed from the curse of the law, including poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Our lives will be successful and healthy if we walk in the light of this redemption with faith in God's word and in answer to believing prayer. It is a serious case of mistaken identity at two levels. One, to who Jesus is. And two, to what Jesus came to, to do. If you think the crowdly case is a little bit weird, let me show you the crazy case of mistaken identity. In verses 20 and 21, you've got your Bible, verses 30 and 31. Let me read them to you. So Jesus entered a house, and again, the crowd gathered, you know what they were after, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. He's crazy. <laughs> Down to verse 31. Mark sandwich. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived. They're standing outside and they sent someone to call him. That's Jesus. 
A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are looking, are outside and are looking for you. Can you see what his family, including Mama Bear Mary, can you see what she is thinking about Jesus right now? What are his family saying about who Jesus is? He's out of his mind. He's crazy. He's cuckoo. He's nuts. You see, what's happening is the crowds are in and surging and it's all going. I mean, Jesus has got celebrity status, right? I mean, all this miracle working has gone to his head. And things are getting out of hand. I mean, look at verse 20. Jesus and the, and the, and the disciples, they're skipping meals. That's not a good thing. You know, missing lunch and dinner and breakfast or whatever the case is. So, you know, that's what mama bears do, right? You know, my child is not getting fed. I'm there. I'll come and take charge. Who did Jesus' family think he was? Jesus' family simply thought that he was Jesus. The half-bros and half-sisters of Jesus thought that Jesus was just the half-bro, right? But he must have been a perfect half-bro, right? I mean, imagine growing up with Jesus, your half-brother, the perfect one. I mean, he would have been the ultimate goody two-shoes brother, wouldn't he? Mama Bear Mary, she knows that Jesus is the Messiah, doesn't she? I mean, do you remember the angel told her that, that, that she'd have a son? But the problem is that Jesus is not quite turning out to be the Messiah that Mary thought she was going to have. The angel tells Mary that she'll have a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, who will save his people from their sins. But at this point in the narrative, Mary Mama Bear thinks that Jesus has lost his Messiah marbles. He's nuts. He's crazy. Do you know that as you go out into the world, do you know that there are some crazy, crazy cases of mistaken identity of Jesus? Do you know that? I'm telling you crazy. I want to give you a top 10. Here are the top 10 Jesus crazy mistaken identities, and they'll come up on the screen, hopefully. Here they go. Not in necessarily this order. Jesus was a Buddhist monk. This is like the Forbes Jesus top 10, you know what I mean? Jesus was the son of an architect. Jesus was the reincarnation of Lord Krishna. That's a Hindu god that doesn't actually exist. Jesus was the reinvented life of Julius Caesar. Jesus, actually a guy wrote a whole book on that one. Jesus is the archangel Michael. Jesus is the God-man of the Greek god Zeus. Doesn't exist either. Jesus was a magician. Jesus was an alien. Jesus was created a perfect man yet able to sin. And rounding up the top ten, Jesus was an exceptionally moral man. Crazy cases of mistaken identity. Well, you think the crowds is a little bit nutty, and you think that that one was a little crazy. Wait till you see the criminal case of mistaken identity. The criminal case of mistaken identity. You just get my uh, nog out the way there. Richard Jones is on the left, and Ricky Amos is on the right. 
May 31, 1999, Richard Jones was in Kansas City, guy on the left. He's at his home celebrating a memorial day, and it happened to be the same day as his girlfriend's birthday. At the same time, in Kansas City, Ricky Amos on the right and his gang were busy robbing a woman of her phone in Walmart. The lady and the security guard couldn't facially identify Ricky on the right, who had actually done the robbery. However, they knew that he was slim. They knew that he was sort of Latino or black or whatever. And based on the description, the police arrested innocent Ricky Jones on the left. He was convicted and sentenced to 19 years in prison. Richard Jones on the left was into his prison sentence of 15 years, 15 of 19, when, when in the jail that he was at, his fellow inmates suddenly realized there was a lookalike in the jail, in the same prison. The lookalike was Ricky Amos, who, dis- who was discovered to be the real robber. It was a criminal case of mistaken identity. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 22, and see the most serious criminal case of mistaken identity. So the teachers of the Lord come down from Jerusalem, and they said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. It's the most criminal conviction that you could ever come to about Jesus. It's crazy criminal. I mean, how on earth could anybody come to a conclusion that Jesus is bad or Jesus is evil? It's crazy. It's criminal. But perhaps it starts to make sense. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I shared with you back in Mark chapter 2, do you remember what the teachers of the law accused Jesus of doing? Do you remember? If you had your Bible and you flick back into Luke, uh, into Mark 3, verse 2, and Mark 2, 24, you might remember that Jesus was accused of being what? A Sabbath breaker, right? And remember that in the Old Testament, Sabbath breakers were meant to be put to death. Then if you back up into Mark 2, verse 5, where Jesus declares that he is the one that can forgive sin, What are the teachers of the law now thinking? They look at this Jesus who seems to be a mere man. He's claiming to be God. He's breaking the Sabbath all over the place. He is going to be put to death and surely he must be possessed by who? By Satan. It's understandable if according to the teachers of the law, if you've got a blasphemous, false, forgiving Sabbath breaker, then Jesus must either be possessed by Satan or at least he must be what? Under the control of Satan. Does that make sense? Think about it this way. I wonder if you recognize this picture. Do you know who that is? That's Jim Jones. Do you know who Jim Jones was? He was a cult leader. He claimed to be the Messiah. The story didn't end well. He led his followers into a mass suicide. 909 people committed suicide. 304 were children. They drank, they drank cyanide. What would we say about this man and Satan? 
would we not at least say he was what? He was, he, maybe not possessed, but he was certainly under the, under the influence. What do we say about those like Muhammad who invented Islam? What do we say about people like Charles Russell who invented Jehovah's Witness? Do we not consider them to at least having been influenced or under the control of Satan, right? Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. Have a look. Would you put that up again for me, please? The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. If the teachers of the law thought that Jesus was teaching demonic things, then clearly he was what? Under the influence of the demonic, right? Now, Jesus really shows the criminality of their thinking in a very simple parable, which is so easy to understand, running down from about verse 23. So take a look at it. Notice Jesus says he calls them over after being accused of being possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. He calls them over, he begins to speak to them in parables, and says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Here's what Jesus says. If it's the devil in me driving out the devil in them, I mean, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? Why? Because if it's the devil in me driving out the devil in you, well, then it means that the Satan is driving out Satan. It's Satan against Satan. It's Satan fighting against Satan. It's Satan destroying himself. I mean, how daft can you be? I mean, Satan is evil, but he's not stupid. It's a little bit like when a country goes to civil war against itself, isn't it? Remember the American Civil War? That's pretty stupid. I mean, when a country goes to war against itself, what happens? It just destroys itself. Right. I mean, how stupid is it when a church goes to war against itself? Pretty stupid, isn't it? Pretty daft when you're fighting against yourself. No, 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 no. Jesus says, if I'm driving out Satan then I'm the stronger man that binds the strong man. Do you see that? Satan is the strong man, but Jesus is the stronger one who comes to bind Satan, to cast him out, to set the captives free from the tyrannical reign of sin and death and hell that Satan has over everybody. Imagine thinking that the one who's come to destroy the evil one is evil himself. It's criminal. It's actually what? Unforgivable. Did you see it in the passage? Have a look at verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven because they are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. If you're part of one of our connect groups, you'll be able to delve into that a little bit deeper this week. But listen, to call Jesus bad, to call Jesus unholy, to call Jesus evil, is a holy, criminal offense worthy of eternal judgment. Very serious cases of mistaken identity. Crowdly, crazy, 
criminal. So what do we do? What do you and I do? Let me bring it together as we start our way home. Under my final heading, the clarity of the commission. The clarity of the commission. Who do you say that Jesus is? We'll get to it in Mark chapter 8 eventually, but you might remember in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is walking along the road with his disciples and at some point in the discussion turns to his disciples and says, Who do you say I? I am. I want to ask you this morning, do you really have clarity about who Jesus is? Or is there still perhaps a case of a serious case of mistaken identity for you. We're three chapters into the Gospel of Mark. Let me give you who Jesus is from the Gospel of Mark, from the Bible. Take a look. Jesus is the Spirit baptizer, Mark 1, who gives a new heart, gives you a new heart to love God and to love others. Jesus is the suffering, baptized Messiah who was punished for your sin at the cross. Jesus Christ is the Spirit-filled Messiah who will one day bring in the new glorious kingdom of God. Mark 1, the beloved, Jesus is the beloved divine Son of God sent from the Father as a gift. Jesus Christ is the sin forgiver who forgives all your sins. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom who lays down his life for his bride so that she may feast with him in the new kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath who fulfills all the Old Testament symbols and shadows. Jesus Christ is the stronger man who routs the strong man by his death and resurrection, setting his people free from a tyrannical reign and slavery of sin and death. Is that your Jesus? Because let me say this to you. That's the only Jesus that can save you. That's it. The criminal one can't save you. The crazy one can't save you. The crowdly one can't. It's only this Jesus that can save you. Is he your Lord and Savior? That's the only Jesus that calls you to repent before him. And this is the only Jesus that calls you to follow him. Do you have clarity as to his identity and to what he came to do? But secondly, we therefore need to be prepared. For those of us who have got clarity, we need to be prepared that there are going to be many cases of mistaken identity, aren't there? So as you go out, as you tell people how wonderful Jesus is and what wondrous things he has done, please do not be surprised when you are confronted by serious cases of mistaken identity. With a little help from my friend Steve McAlpine. Please take my photo out again. When Jesus stepped into the first world in the first century, you could describe the world like this. When Jesus put his feet on the earthly ground, it was pre-Christian. 
It was hostile to the gospel. It was pluralistic, hedonistic, religious, secular, and materialistic. In the 23rd century, while you sit on this chair in this church this morning, our world is post-Christian, hostile to the gospel, pluralistic, hedonistic, religious, secular, and materialistic. So listen, brothers and sisters, as you go into this world, which is confronted by those things, please do not be surprised when everybody is befuddled about who Jesus is. So what do you do? What do you do? Let me show you. A couple of scriptures. I'll do the emphasis. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them, from the scriptures. Have a look at Acts 18.28. For he, Paul, vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul writing to Timothy says, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We make a simple point. Making disciples is about a patient teaching of confused people about who Jesus is from the Bible. Does that make sense? Making disciples is about a patient teaching of confused people about who Jesus is from the Bible. Just to press it slightly into John 12, 32, Jesus said these were his words, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, obviously talking about the cross, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Here's the thing. When we, when we lift up the Jesus of the Bible before people, as we keep lifting up Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible who died and rose, we keep lifting him up before the eyes of people. Jesus will draw men, women, and children to himself. Making disciples is about a patient teaching of confused people about who Jesus is from the Bible. Got your Bible open. So have a look at the last couple of verses. As Mary, Mama Bear, and the, and the crowd, and the people, and the brothers and sisters, they want to come to take charge. And he says, he replies, and they're, oh, they're looking for you. They're looking for you. Who are my brothers? And who is my mother? Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. What does Jesus mean? The family of Jesus, the family of Jesus are those who know who Jesus is from the Bible. And they know who, what Jesus did from the Bible. Those who have a mistaken identity about Jesus, and they have a mistaken identity about what he's come to do, are not the family of God. Those who do the will of my Father. What's that? The will of the Father is that you believe in who? 
believe in the Son from the Bible. Is there another one? No? Okay. Making disciples is about patiently and perseveringly working to teach people the Jesus of the Bible from the Bible in the hope that they will believe and be saved. So let's get practical. That's what Christian parenting is about, parents. It is teaching our children over the formative years of their lives, Jesus from the, from the scriptures. That's what Christian parents do. That's what kids' church is about. We've just sent them out a little bit earlier, and they're about to go and learn about the only name under heaven and earth by which they can be saved. Who? Jesus from the Bible. We teach our children in their formative years, and we teach the children in kids' church every single week the Jesus from the Bible. That's what Christian schools have an enormous privilege of doing. They have an incredible freedom to be able to teach Jesus from the Bible every single week. Oh, what a privilege, what an honor. Let them take it with both hands. What would you do if you had a, a, a baby Christian offer to you and said, right, take care of this baby Christian that's just come to faith? What would you do? You teach them Jesus from the Bible, you take the Gospel of Mark or you take one of the other Gospels and you sit down with them and you read the Scriptures and you pray the Scriptures and you explain the Jesus from the Bible. What would you do if you, if you come across a non-Christian that is seeking and open and wants to know? What would you do? Teach them Jesus from the Bible. Because every single non-Christian, as we were at one time, has a mistaken identity about who Jesus is. And we want them to see the Jesus of the Bible. And as we lift up the Jesus of the Bible before their very eyes, we pray and hope that they will be saved by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what are your personal quiet times about? What are your devotions about? What are you reading the... Do you read the Bible for the Bible? I hope you don't. <laughs> then you've missed it. You've become a Pharisee. You read the Bible to see Jesus. So easy to read four chapters a day and miss Jesus, right? We open the Bible to see Jesus. Every day I want my heart to be strengthened and comforted and encouraged and challenged and convicted and even changed as I see Jesus to whom the scriptures point. You're not saved by the Bible, friends. You're saved by the Jesus to whom the Bible points. So my brothers and sisters, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know him more and more and more? I hope so, because that's what we're going to sing. Music team, why don't you join us up front and let's sing.